I'm glad you're here. So I grew up in a neighborhood that I can't afford to live in um, anymore. It's Greenpoint. Anybody remember Greenpoint back in the day? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greenpoint back in the day was awesome. And so we lived um, past the Greenpoint side. On Manhattan Avenue, past the Greenpoint side, which uh, most people didn't go to unless you actually lived there. And everybody was poor. But the, the unique thing about my family is that we were, like, super poor. I don't know if you were super. Was anybody here super poor? Yeah, I was super poor, right? Like, we were, we were poor with a P on our chest, right? Like, it was, we were super poor. And so um, what would happen is, is um, we were on welfare. Anybody remember welfare when it was food stamps? Yeah. Right? Now you got the credit card. Now you got the card. Feels kind of good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not so with those food stamps. That was horrible. I literally would take the, the bodega on the corner was literally downstairs and two doors to the left. I could take 20 minutes to buy one gallon of milk just to make sure that everybody had left. You know, remember the shame that you grew up with, with the food stamps? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's how poor we were. So um, we, uh, we would do that. And what was interesting is that all the, I got picked on for being uh, poor and got laughed at and all this other stuff. And then, God forbid, my mother got some clothes from some friends, and those friends saw that I had their sneakers on, even though it was new to me. It was like really nice, but they would just point it out and embarrass you in front of it. Anybody ever have an experience like that? Amen. Yeah, there's a few of us, right? And so, so it was really, really tough. What was interesting, though, is that, and I didn't know this growing up, I had to become an adult to find this out. I found out, and this is going to sound shocking to you, that everyone else in my neighborhood was on welfare too. <laughs> that was awful. I was like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you were the guys who were picking on me for this crap. And it, it shaped the way I thought about myself. It shaped the way I viewed the rest of the world. It was a shame that still walks with me today. I could not, when I walked down Fifth Avenue, it's not very often, on Fifth Avenue, you know on the 50s, 51st Street, 52nd, right, right before you get to Central Park, there are these nice stores. I never even dream of walking into those stores because I always feel like I'm, I got food stamps in my hands. I just, I just feel like that. It's the way I feel. In other words, it scarred me. The way they treated me made me feel like I didn't belong the way they treated me make me, felt, make me feel like I was something less than made in the image of God. You know that that can still happen here in the church? And that many times it does, in fact, happen in the church. I don't mean like within the context of a service, although it can happen that way. I mean like the community of God could treat other members in the community of God like they don't matter. Like they're not important. Like they're not valuable image bearers of God. It can happen in our homes. It can happen in our communities, in our small groups. It can happen. What happens all the time in the world could creep in to the church. 
Would you believe that this was a problem in the church from very early on in its inception? That the church had to deal with this ever since it started. People who thought they were better than other people treating other people like they didn't belong or they weren't valuable. In fact, what the text that we're going to look at today, James, which is the book of James that we've been studying for the last month, you know that we've been in the series. And the point of this series is to talk about, James speaks about, now that you believe in God, how do we as a community of God's people interact with one another? And so James is going to address this issue of injustice. He's going to address what it's like to treat each other, especially those who have nothing to give back. He says, James says, that our community is supposed to be different. Now, this message is unbelievably important to everybody in this room because you will have a tendency to treat others better in every stage of your life. With your children, if you have more than one children, you'll have a tendency to go towards your favorite. You go, I don't have any favorites. Ask your kids, which one is the favorite? And they'll all agree. Maybe it'll be, so it'll affect your, your life with your children. Maybe, maybe when it comes to your parents and your spouse, right? Maybe you're still a little attached to mom. And so your wife says something and you can't hear it and you're, you're angry about it, but mom says the same thing and all of a sudden it's a good idea. Yeah. You know, have you done that? Yeah. Or, or maybe it's at work and you're clean now, and you've been doing well, and you got your GED or your high school diploma, and now you're going to college, and now you're getting kind of work that you really love, and now there are people who are under you who you treat with contempt. You see, this can happen and affect every area of your life, and God says, no, this is not to be among God's people. This is not to exist. And so he gives us this incredible uh, passage in the scriptures. It's in James chapter 2. I'm hoping we can get through 1 through 13. Uh, I'm hoping we can get through it, um, but we'll see. Now, uh, as I read this text to you, I want it to wash over you. And we're going to talk. It's interesting. I, as I was doing this text, if this was an affluent congregation, meaning if this congregation had like status and finances and, you know, like, you know, we were like executives in all these big corporations, I would preach this far different than the way I, was, than the way I would preach it here today. But many of us don't come from like renown and, and money and all that other stuff. So I'm going to preach it a little bit differently, and I hope that's okay. But I want us to really apply God's word to our context, our congregation. So uh, part of another tradition we have in our church is to stand up at the reading of God's word. If you can stand, if you can't stand, uh, we understand. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read God's word together. I'm going to read it to you and just let it wash over you. But the reason that we stand is because we want to be reminded that God's word has authority in our lives. And we want to be reminded of that, that not our thoughts, not our feelings, that is not the place where we gain our authority. No, no, no. It's in who God is. Um, and by the way, if you're new to the Recovery House of Worship, 
you're, we are so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. You, listen, whether you slept on the park bench next door or in the penthouse across the street, we want to serve you and love you well. This is a church for all people and all walks of life. So we're glad that you're here. Let's, let's look at what God's word would have to say about discrimination. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, stand there or sit at the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It's not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you to court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, say that with me, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Let's read the rest together. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is God's word. Wow. So... As you know, whenever we um, come up here and whenever we try and whenever pastor comes up here and tries to share God's word with you, we have one big idea. This is the thing that we must not leave without. And the big idea today is that discrimination devastates disciples of Christ. That when we discriminate in the body of Christ, it devastates unity, it devastates the Spirit's work in our hearts, it devastates our ability to grow, it devastates disciples of Christ. In every way, discrimination devastates. And it's easy for us in a church like this to go, oh man, good thing, we don't struggle with that here. And I'm telling you, it's not true. We do struggle with it here. We do. Let's let's look at why discrimination devastates disciples of Christ. Discrimination devastates disciples of Christ because discrimination dishonors man. Now, 
I want you to see first, as we look at this, the impetus or the basis for which James can say, don't discriminate. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. In other words, if you really believe that the king of glory made his place on earth, in other words, he condescended, he's rich beyond compare, came to live with the poor and the lowly. If you really believe that, and you really believe that you are the poor and the lowly, and that he, by his riches, made you, gave you great benefit, if you really believe that, you can't possibly go to look to another person who's struggling with maybe some mental disorder, or maybe who can't get it together with their clean time. Or, 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 maybe, or maybe they're the child. Every other child seems to be doing well, but that child you just don't want to pay no mind to because they're not doing as well as so-and-so. Or, or, maybe, or maybe they don't smell very good. Or, or maybe when they talk, it takes them 20 minutes to get to the point. And you've got things to do and places to go and people to see. This, this devastating thing of discrimination will and can affect every one of our hearts. And James starts off, in two times, James refers to Jesus. I mean, he's, I mean Jesus is like all over the book of James. But two times he refers to him. First in the first verse of chapter 1, and secondly in this verse, the first verse of chapter 2. And he says, if you're believers, if you bowed the knee to Christ, if you who were poor and wretched received the rich one's blessing, let that guide and motivate and move your thinking about others. And he says, then he gives an illustration. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. And say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I'm telling you. This is us, guys. Listen to me. Some of us can't be, can't be bothered with chronic relapsers. We just can't be bothered. Oh, no. I, I, I was there when you relapsed the first time. I was there when you relapsed the second time. I was there when you relapsed the fourth time. I'm not there anymore. We can't be bothered. You, you come to me when you get it together. Some of us can't be bothered. Listen to me. We're going to have a meal after this service. It's part of our service because we believe in just connecting with each other. And some of us can't be bothered because some homeless people eat with us, which we are so honored that you're here. If this is, if you, if this is your home, we are so glad. We're so glad. And if this is the only meal that you'll be able to eat today, then it is our honor and privilege to serve it to you. But some of us it's too much to speak. It's too much to listen to what's going on in their heart. It's too much to try to sift through some of the sort of stream of conscience that they're speaking in and kind of trying to figure out what they're saying. 
It's too much to ask. You got better things to do. Good night. Look at how well you're dressed. You got places to go. He says, no, 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 no. If somebody comes in who has a lot to offer you, we don't treat them any better than someone who comes in who has nothing to offer you. If someone comes in with a lot that you can benefit from, we don't treat them any differently than someone who has no benefit. Why? Because we serve a Savior who, for no benefit of his own, came down and died for our sakes. If he could die for our sakes, surely we could have a conversation with others. Discrimination devastates disciples of Christ because discrimination dishonors man. When we do that, we negate, we tell, we're telling those, we're telling the people that we're discriminating against, we're saying, you don't matter to God. And the way we're saying that is, you don't matter to me. Because the, you've never laid eyes on someone who wasn't an image bearer of God. And that means for us, we see them not as a problem. We see them not as something to avoid. We see them not as, so, no, we see them as a person to love and, and point to the beauty and the wonder of Christ. It dishonors man. But not only does discrimination dishonor man, it also disrespects God. Look at verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. Now, let me pause here. Some of us, does anybody have any lottery dreams? Raise your hand if you have, like, lottery dreams. If you hit the lottery. How many of you are going to give, like, tons of money to our church? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. How many of you are not giving right now? Okay, you're probably not going to do it if you hit the lottery. I'm just letting you know. All right. That was funnier to me than it was to you, I'm sure. Okay. But watch this. We all have lottery dreams, right? Who here has, like, poverty dreams? Lottery dreams, yes. No poverty dreams? No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. But wait, wait, wait. Lord, the Lord says that he bestows great riches on the poor. Matter of fact, Jesus goes, blessed are the poor. They're the poor. The poor in spirit. Why? Why are they blessed? Because God will be their comfort. Why are the poor blessed? Because God is their wealth. Why are they blessed? Because God is their recompense. God is their home. God is their meal. God is their sustenance. God is their hope. Shelly just blessed my socks off. She said, and, 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 and she didn't tell you this, the whole story, and you can't know, um, but Shelly's, Shelly's daughter is a miracle, like an absolute miracle. There's every reason why that girl should have died in the first month of her life. And most of the kids who are born, 50%, I believe, was the statistic that they gave us, 50% die in like the first month. And God has blessed Shelly and Pedro with this incredible gift of their baby for four years. Amen. It's almost four years. Almost four years. Here's the point that I tell you that. Shelly said, 
My hope isn't in my daughter getting better. My hope isn't in she'll never, Shelly's daughter may never be able to eat a regular meal. Never. She might always need to be fed um, in a different way, through a different path. She may never have to be able to have conversations. But Shelly said, remember what Shelly said? She said, but my hope is not in my daughter getting better. My hope is in Jesus. Amen. See, Amen. You see, when everything is going fine and, and you got all the money in the world and, and the kids are doing great and they got the $200 sneakers and they got all that other stuff, then who needs Jesus? Historically, the poor have run to God while the rich have not. That is a historical fact. You can't even argue that one. Historically, throughout the centuries, it's the poor and the uneducated who have run to Jesus. Why? Because when you got it all, who needs God? But beloved, beloved, and I know there's some of you who are wealthy here or who definitely are, are on the upper end of our, and it's just a gift. I want you to, but here's what I want you to see here. If you guys are poor, listen, if I'm poor, and I'm telling you, I grew up in a kind of poverty that I grew up in what you would call a crack house. I'm telling you, hole in the window, sleep with your shoes on because it's freezing, like awful, no heat, no, no electricity, no, uh, for like four years, no telephone, no electricity, no uh, uh, t television, nothing, like real, real super poverty. I'm telling you. I thought I was cursed because of it. God must want nothing to do with me. And many of you walk in that right now. And Jesus is letting you know it's a lie. What's true is that God favors and loves you and is drawing you to yourself. That if you lack resources on this world, you don't lack resources in Christ. That God has resources for you in himself that can sustain you and strengthen you for all of your life. Discrimination against the poor negates the fact that God has a special affection for the poor. It disrespects God. So how are we supposed to respond? Jump down to verse 8. We're supposed to respond in love. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, as a family, we're supposed to love each other because we were loved well by Christ. So I'm not inventing. You know how like, you can't give until you get? Right? Like if you, if you never got patience, it's hard to give patience. If you, if you never got respect, it's hard to give respect. Well, in Christ, what we have is innumerable and immeasurable. In Christ, we have everything we need. So if in fact we are being loved by Christ, then that Christ, as we think about it, it overflows into the hearts and the lives of others. Isn't that awesome? Like that means, that means I never got love from my mother. I never got love from my father. I never got love from my, whatever your story is, nobody has ever loved me. I'm telling you, Jesus loves you so much, he'd rather die than let you go. 
Jesus loves you so much, he would, he would give himself to discomfort and pain and torture so he could draw you to himself. That's not a God that you just go, you know, do a little cross every now and again. That's not a God. I'm not making fun of that. I'm saying that it's, it's not the appropriate response. That's not a God who you occasionally come to a Sunday service about. That's not a God who you, on one time or another, serve every now and again. That's a God who you absorb and love and receive and then overflow into the lives of others. Now, let me speak to some of us here. Some of us here. Listen, it's so important that we get this. Because there are so many people who are hurting. So many people who are hurting that desperately need us broken people to share our brokenness, but also our Savior with them. And if we don't do that, who will? Like if we're busy with relapsing and sinning and I just got to get this for me and I got to strive for that, if that's our story, then and we will miss out on all the joy that God would have for us. It's love. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. So ask yourself, you know how like, um, you know how um, in, in some circles we'll say, I got to learn how to love myself? Let me just, can I challenge that for a second? All you've been doing your whole life is loving you. You don't need to learn nothing. You've been doing it quite well. Whenever it comes between someone else's needs and your own, you choose your own. Whenever it comes between another person's desires and your desires, you choose what's best for you. You go, no, 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 no. I'm just a giver. I go, beloved, if we sat down for just a few minutes, we would find out that the root of your giving is rooted in you. You don't need to learn how to love yourself. Good night. You've been doing so good. Perhaps what we need, not so much to learn how to love ourselves, but receive love from God. And receiving his love overflow that love into others. Real love, not self-centered love. Not I give to get love. Not I love you if you treat me well. Not I'll, I'll do for you so long as. No, 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 no. A real love. A real love that's marked by struggle. A real love that's marked by sacrifice. Now, there are some of you who are in broken relationships right now. And you stay in that broken relationship. You're not married. You stay in that broken relationship for you. You do it so that you could get what you want. You do it so that you could receive what you, maybe you're insecure. Maybe you feel like, oh, man, I'm not getting any younger. This is the best I could do. No, 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 it's a broken relationship. Get some counseling. Get some help. Because what you're doing is you're convincing yourself, I'm just, you know what my problem is? I'm just too loving. No, 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 beloved. You don't know love at all. If you love the person, you would let them suffer the consequences of their actions, take a step back, say, I'll be here for you, but this is not the kind of relationship that we can continue forward in. Nah, let's not do that. Because if we did that, 
that would be loving. You see, the royal law sometimes means loving others in a way that Christ loved us, which can hurt, which can cause sacrifice. Um, I have a, a person who's going to come and give their testimony about loving the poor and, and doing justice. But I want you to know that if you're here and you're poor, I want you to know that Jesus absolutely loves you. And if you're rich, Jesus has brought you here because he loves you. And if you're in the middle, Jesus loves you. And he's brought you here. But I want you to know that no matter how poor you are, what condition you find yourself in, that we cannot, not in this congregation, risk treating others less than a beautiful, glorious image of God, maybe marred by sin, maybe devastated by some bad decisions, but you are an image bearer of God. How would I treat Jesus if he walked in the room? Let's treat each other in that manner. Why? Why would we do that? Because discrimination devastates the disciples of Christ. With that, I'll ask Zach to come up and share. Um, Um, there is so much I could share, um, (laughs) so I'm going to try and confine myself a little bit to just some specifics about my testimony, but, but a couple things to, to encourage us as a church in, in view of my testimony of my experience of the church. And I, and I've said this before, I have been in a number of churches in my life. I, I became, I came to Christ when I was 22, so Half my life now, I've, I've been a Christian, and I've been in lots of churches. Most churches that I've been in, m- most churches, if, if, if the pastor asked you to put your hand up to share that you were in poverty, there would be one or two hands go up. The, the fact that we as a community welcomes, as a, are a welcome space for those who are facing those kind of situations daily is unusual and beautiful. So I want to encourage us that this is an unusually beautiful place that, that I'm learning from, yeah. that I'm, I'm a privilege to be a part of. Yeah. The, the second thing just to encourage us in, related to what um, Pastor Edwin had been saying is this, the, the temptation when we leave this place is we're part of a culture that tells us we only learn from people who are successful and have it all together. Mm. Right? That, when, when, when James says to, to not let ourselves be unstained by the world, the world tells us that you only learn from people that have and that are doing. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we leave a place and we think the only people I can learn from are the people that are higher than me. Mm-hmm. And Jesus tells us and tells me consistently what my life has been about learning is, no, no, I need to go down to learn from people that are not successful but that are faithful that are learning in the midst of troubles, because that's where faith is deepened. That's where faith is deepened. So I didn't meet Jesus until I was 22. I started working and serving at a downtown church. I'm originally from Canada. And again, the, 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 the story of my life is, is this. I was working in a church where every week they had a soup kitchen. And 400 people were served, more than 400 people were served a month in the soup kitchen. 
But the unusual thing for me that I started to watch was, as I was watching the people being served week after week after week, I started to ask questions about how many people are joining this community? How many people are becoming a part of this community? And I started to see that, again, the norm with, the, with churches that started to do the work of food pantries and services like this was it was a ministry to and a ministry for, but not a ministry with. Mm. And I started to see that the goal was not just to just feed people, but to learn from them, to be with them, to want to experience what, what struggles they were facing, not so that I could somehow be a savior to them, but so that I could experience hope with them of what it looks like to know Jesus in the midst of their troubles. And so my, my wife and I moved here to Brooklyn, New York um, in 2008 to take over a church. And uh, we, our, my, our oldest daughter was nine months old at that time. And as I wanted to step into the situation, having experienced what I just told you, my, my goal was I wanted to experience New York from multiple perspectives. I didn't want to live the New York experience sequestered, like separated from the gritty realities of what many in our city face. And so I tried to, as much as possible, be in different spaces from, and pe with people from different perspectives so I could learn from the way that people experience New York from very different angles, mm -hmm. from di very different situations. As a side, um, Pastor Edwin was, was, was like the only pastor who gave me any time when I first moved here. I was literally knocking on doors and asking to meet with other pastors in this space to learn from, to just participate in and, 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 and find out more about it. And I understood that my skin color and being a white pastor stepping into, at this time 10 years ago in Brooklyn, gentrification was happening and realizing that many of these pastors were very suspicious of me. And I understood that. But Pastor, pastor Edwin, in the midst of that, said, no, our space is available for you to use for you to be able to participate, for us, for us to learn from you and, and to receive from you. So I wanted to, to just get close to this church, to recognize that there was much to learn from. And so I wanted to be in spaces where I was learning from people from very different experiences. But the real change happened for me. I was leading a church, and we were in the last phase of this church, um, running services at a United Methodist Church across the street from the Gowanus Houses, a public housing a residence very close to this, this church. And, her, and, and what changed for me was during Hurricane Sandy. So during Hurricane Sandy, it hit, and, and Red Hook and Gowanus were devastated. Half, half of Gowanus' houses were without power. I don't know if you remember, during Hurricane Sandy, the day after Sandy hit, it snowed. Okay? There were 10, 10, 10 of those residences that were without heat, hot water, lights. And so I put it on, put it on myself to support what was happening in the community by, uh, by joining in with, at that time, was Occupy Sandy. And so Occupy Sandy had set up shop along with the National Guard. And we went in and we were handing out blankets and, and candles and batteries and, and checking on people for medication refills. Now, I just want to tell you again, in the midst of this, I was also getting shade from leaders in my church that told me that I was wasting my time by doing this. Okay, that that wasn't my responsibility. Okay. The other thing I want to let you know is that what, what became more and more important to me was as I was doing the work, I was, I, was support, I was being involved with all sorts of volunteers that were coming in and out of Red Hook, coming in and out of the Gowanus, and I didn't meet another pastor in the work I was doing. Okay. I wanted to be in spaces where Jesus was not being represented, where Jesus was not being proclaimed, where he was not being clearly seen. But this deepened my desire to do this because every time I would knock on that door and ask if the person was okay, I was met with hugs. Mm. 
They didn't, I could have been, they didn't care if I was white, black, brown, green, purple. They just were glad that I was a human face that was willing to check in on them in that moment. Okay. And it reminded me again that these people were facing incredible difficulties, mm-hmm. right? That they had been left behind, that they'd been marginalized, that they'd been separated, that they had been not looked after. And I wanted to just, I want them to know, they, them to know that they were loved. And it deepened my heart for justice because it wasn't about serving them, it was about learning from them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about speaking words, it was about showing up. And that through that relationship, being in spaces where I could pray for them more effectively, hear their stories more purposefully, and then speak truth into their situations, knowing that I'd heard from them and listened to them. Ministry for me wasn't changing radically, it was just deepening. It wasn't about going in to save them, but learning that they were saving me by showing me the different way I needed to see the world. Because we are all being affected. Again, going into these spaces and saying, I have the answers. I know what to do. And the, the, these beautiful folks, many of them have become friends, were showing me that I'm clinging to Jesus because I have nothing else. And as Pastor Edward said, I can go in as a middle-class, fam- a middle-class man can go in and think, there's all these other things that I can hope in, I can rest in, right? And learning that what it means to trust Jesus and have, have him be our only hope in the midst of those situations. And so for me, it was go- going into these places and recognizing the complexity of these situations, Many of us have lived with the reality of thinking that if we just pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, right, that things will get better. Mm-hmm. There are systemic realities that even if you try your hardest, you're still going to face a ceiling, mm-hmm. right? You try your hardest, and your skin color still gets in the way, mm-hmm. right? You try your hardest, and your criminal record still gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You try your hardest, and where you live still gets in the way. You try your hardest, and your substance abuse past gets in the way, mm-hmm. right? So I wanted to learn from and listen to and receive from and understand how these things affected the people that were in my neighborhood. See, the Bible describes justice as God's wholeness. Everything in its right place, in its right space. Nothing broken, nothing left behind. And it was through hearing from these people, working together to address housing, legal, racial, education, economic struggles, that I was able to hear from them. And then through that, build a relationship where prayers became more effective. Because it wasn't just, as James tells us, going into these spaces and saying, hey, I'm praying for you, go and be well fed. It was about how can I pray for you? What can I do for you? How can Jesus meet us in these things? Mm-hmm. You see, I found today that people now are kind of sick of just hearing our words. Mm-hmm. I have found that when the work that I have been blessed to just participate in with what God is doing, that people won't know that you care until they feel your care. Mm-hmm. Feel your care. And so for me, that has been building relationships in public housing residents where after having knocked on doors and shown up when tragedy happens, that we were able to set up shop where a family could mourn the loss of their son who was killed by gun violence. Mm. And watching 150 residents show up with candles, police officers and residents show up and pray for their, that, that family that had lost their son to gun violence listening to the mother stand up in that moment and say that she'd forgiven the men who had killed her son because of her belief in God. 
just creating a space for the community to mourn and lament, but to also to remember who God is and what he has done. It has been about me going and showing up for students' court cases where they've been falsely accused of crimes, showing up and saying, I'm here for you, I want to serve you, I want to support you, and that creating opportunities where those families are then coming to me later and saying, oh, we need your prayer, we need your support, we need your counsel. But it's because I've been willing to show up, to listen, to receive from, to be a participant in what they're doing. It's hearing about the mother of a daughter I've been mentoring publicly, uh, um, mentoring for a long time, that, that she needed help on other levels, right? It wasn't just these superficial realities that she had now was bringing me to, but deeper things that she was inviting me to pray for, being able to do baby dedications amongst a bunch of unbelievers hmm. for one family that wanted to see the gospel proclaimed through a baby dedication because their families needed to hear Jesus hmm. through relationship being built. It was about going to community boards <laughs> last week where people talk about when, are we, when is the parks going to be cleaned up from those people? Mm-hmm. When is the park going to clean up? When are we going to clean up and remove those people? And me being able to stand up and saying, these people are my friends. Mm-hmm. These people go to my church. Mm-hmm. These people are part of our community. Mm-hmm. See, this is what justice was for me. It was not just a matter of just talking about these things and not just a matter of just... Being, it was about recognizing that God wants us to be participants in what he's doing. The renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. By willing to show up and saying, I'm not coming in to try and fix you. I'm not coming in just with words. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. To recognize that God has just entrusted with me this, this privilege. And so, again, I'm here because this church provides the space and believes in these things. I've been in so many churches where we, we want to serve the poor. We want to be about the poor. We care about the poor. We are the poor. Yeah. Yeah. We are the poor. Yeah, man. We're not having a conversation about something that's not affecting us deeply. Mm-hmm. And we want to care for one another, learn from one another. If you are, as Pastor Edwin said, if you're here today and you are in situations of deep struggle, we're not here just to serve you. I'm here to learn from you. To recognize your faith has been deepened and strengthened. The systematic realities that you have faced. The hurdles that you have to overcome. To be here today. Mm-hmm. We want to learn from you and recognize that for me this has been my life. A deepening reality of what it means to be a disciple. Is to know these things more deeply. And experience them more fully. Thank you Edwin. Thanks Zach. Okay. So what would it look like? What would it look like if we were a people who loved each other in ways that would demonstrate God's, uh, God's uh, image, as uh, other people as God's image bearers? What would that look like for us? Well, it would absolutely look like ask, spending time with Jesus. It would look like not only spending time with Jesus, but seeking the face of the Lord so that he could grow us in this. You could practice this. Let me tell you a couple of ways you could practice this. Our prayer meetings. Our prayer meetings are on Thursday, and they're nothing like any other meetings that we have in this place. They're, um, they're one Thursday a month, and we sit in a circle, and we confess and pray. We read scriptures, and it's a beautiful—we pray with one another and share each other's burdens. It's beautiful. 
This month, our prayer meeting is always, it's always on the fourth, uh, our prayer meeting is always on the fourth week. But for this month and for the next three months, it's going to be on the third week. Somebody say prayer meetings on the third week. Third Third Thursday of the month. That's what it is. It's October 24th. Now, why do I mention that? Because when we come together, when we pray with each other, we we become more open to one another. We love one another. We learn from one another. That's going to be the third week is going to be for October, November, and December because the last week of October obviously is Halloween. The last week of November is uh, Thanksgiving, and the last week we have Christmas. So we didn't want to cancel the prayer meeting. But that's one way that we could gather together to learn. Another way is that in your bulletin, in your bulletin, you can open it up. There is an invitation for you to join the new class that's starting on Monday the, huh? The 7th. Monday the 7th. A new class that starts on Monday, October the 7th um, at 6.30 to 7.30. This is an opportunity for us to get together and study the Bible together and experience patience, your patience to me, and maybe our patience, you know, my patience towards you, Right? So we get to experience that. And as we do that as a community, that grows and grows in how we deal with others. Those are practical ways. Let me, um, I want us to be a church that is so shaped by the Spirit of God. It's why in the very end of this passage, James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment because you and I deserve to be judged with the way we've judged others. And the way we've judged others is, doesn't look good if God judges us in that way. But mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy is better than justice. Mercy and justice meet in Christ. Christ takes on the justice of the Father by taking the punishment that you and I deserve and therefore, therefore gives us mercy. Guys, my prayer is that we would be a church that would be merciful, that would not discriminate, that would show each other the kind of affection that we desperately need from one another. My, my favorite illustration of this, and I'll close. One time we were upstairs. This is before the fire happened upstairs. And there was a woman who had come off the street, and she still comes to this day. And um, we were upstairs, and she got sort of, she, she had a long night, and so she, she had her head back and was snoring as loud as you can possibly imagine. So, like, it was like, you know, choo-choo train uh, loud. It was super-duper loud, right? And so I love this moment because I was so convicted. I, w- I was thinking inside myself. I- I'm glad you guys can't see what's going on inside of me when I preach because sometimes it's not the best. And so I was like, can, can nobody punch her in the face? Can nobody, like, just wake her up? Can nobody do anything? Of course, that was the wrong way. There was this woman, woman who she, she moved to, I believe, either Pennsylvania or New Jersey. She came a few months ago to talk to us about, tell us. Her name was Mercedes. And Mercedes was this little, this little Puerto Rican girl. And this woman was this 
huge woman. Like she was like six foot one. She was very heavy set. And, and, and Mercedes was maybe five foot tall. And Mercedes walked up to where she was sitting and sat down next to her and then put her arm and her head on her shoulder and just started to rub her back. And in about a minute and a half later, the lady woke up. And then a little bit after that, she put her arm around Mercedes. It was beautiful. It was so special. That's who we are, guys. That's our church. We are those who might be seen by the world as a nobody and a nothing and don't deserve, and yet we've got love of Christ to bestow upon and share with one another. And we never get haughty to think that because we've got certain level of clean time, because we've made it, that we shouldn't then be patient and loving and caring with those who are just trying to get their act together. Beloved, that's who we are. And we're that because Jesus did that for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you put this very convicting word um, in your scriptures. And everything in us, Lord, everything in us wants to act and feel like a big shot. Buying cars we can't afford or clothes that are too expensive or being snobbish or standoffish to people who are not on our level. Lord, would you convict us of the truth of your word? Help us to be people who love well. Help us to be people who recognize that you only have the lowly and the poor to love. That in comparison to you, we are all desperate, naked, poor, and broken. And that, Lord, if you could do that for us, that we would overflow that love on the poor and the broken. Help us to do that, Lord. Not in lazy ways where we just give people dollars and tell them to go off, but in loving, Christ-centered ways that remind us of how you've affectionately cared for us. Let that be true about us individually, about us as a congregation, and let that flow out so deeply to the community that you would be famed as a result. For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen.